All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I'm excited to discuss, oh, uh, well, never mind, not actually excited. That that would be that would be disingenuous of me to say that I'm actually excited about this game. This was a snoozer. This was a sleeper. Uh, it was an unfortunate one. My, my podcast uh, producer, Michael, actually said that he did fall asleep during the third quarter of this game, which uh, who can blame? <laughs> this was this was an ugly one. And I think the Nuggets do deserve to uh, feel the ugliness of this loss, but we're not going to dwell on it for too much. I, I think the most important thing with this is that, look, it happens to every team when you don't have your star player. Sometimes you go through a bad shooting night and it just so happened that those things coincided together. And that was too, too bad. Uh, we're only going to spend one segment on this game, though. I, I don't really feel like talking about it. What we will talk about, though, after that is uh, whether any of this is actually concerning. And, and the thing that I am most uh, concerned about, which is the offense just without Nikola Jokic, I think that this one is sort of the piece de resistance of the actual offense and, and what it looks like. But uh, either way, uh, Fernando, thank you so much for the compliment here. On the bright side, this podcast will be much better than that game. I'm, I'm hoping so. It's one of the reasons why I do it. I try to provide positivity. I try to provide at least a little bit of levity in situations like these. I don't want to fully uh, go negative on this. I would rather talk about the other stuff. And, and there's enough other stuff, too. But uh, first and foremost, before we get into this thing, I do want to say a, a big thank you for tuning in to the Christian Brown interview that I did and, and that the Mile High Sports team conducted on Tuesday. It posted on Wednesday, and it's one of the most vi viewed videos on the channel already, and it's just been blowing up. It's been really, really cool, and I've been very happy to see that, and, and lots of positive responses on it, lots of good compliments for Christian Brown, and, and he absolutely deserves that. So if you haven't gone to see it, make sure to go check it out. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised on, on what we were able to put together. It was really cool. Uh, all right. Let's now get into the most concerning aspects of the loss. Uh, I have to imagine that what everybody's going to look at is the shooting. Everybody's going to look at that. And I do think that it is something and not nothing. Uh, whenever the Nuggets are without Nikola Jokic, things generally don't go well offensively. The numbers when Thomas Bryant is on the court are usually pretty bad. The numbers even when Zeke Nagy is on the court or uh, even Jeff Green at center, they're not good. They're, they are not good offensive numbers because the Nuggets just don't have a really dynamic center that they can pair with the players that they've brought in to surround Nikola Jokic, who, like, let's face it, I think DeMarcus Cousins was a better fit for what this offense needs than what they have right now. Thomas Bryant, Zeke Naji, Jeff Green at the five, Aaron Gordon at the five, whatever you want to call it. Uh, those different configurations are not explosive enough and they do not surround, or they, they don't really put pressure on the rim in the way that I think the Nuggets needed to. And you saw that tonight where Denver, they just could not, put pressure on the rim and they could not take advantage with the shots that they got from three. The offensive process tonight that I saw 
was Jamal Murray trying to break down the off, trying to break down the defense, kicking out to somebody, passing to somebody. They take a couple dribbles, realize there's nothing there, and then they pass it back to Jamal. And he runs either high pick and roll or goes to the ISO or whatnot. And, and sometimes that worked. It was it was not uh, it didn't work as much as it probably needed to, but that's the most concerning aspect of the loss for me is that everything was so Jamal centric tonight and Bruce Brown centric tonight. And those guys, they need to be able to run things. But if Denver has a point guard centric offense, as opposed to a center centric centric offense, then they don't really get that inside out passing the cutting, the movement, the player movement. Uh, and, and those shot locations, I don't think are, They've had moments where when Murray is running the show, they hit the shots. They, they hit a lot of outside shots. I think I look back to the Indiana game that this team played a couple months ago where that was a really good moment without Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray has a triple-double. It, it is a, I think it is a possi- possibility that that can work. Unfortunately, it hasn't been consistent enough this year, and, and we're going to talk about this more in the second segment, but – that's one concerning aspect of the loss is that they just don't have enough ball uh, ball pressure, creation, playmaking off the dribble. And I don't think that the shots they got tonight, like some of them were open. Some of them were definitely open. But I don't think that they have enough clearly good creators to really do it. Uh, so, look, it is what it is. I, I think that this just kind of goes to show how valuable Nikola Jokic is, of course. But... Uh, that's that's one concerning aspect of the loss. The other one is that Thomas Bryant is just Thomas Bryant, Zeke Naji, Jeff Green. None of them had a good game tonight. I'm going to go through the box score right now. Thomas Bryant had four points. Zeke Naji had two points. Jeff Green had five points. They combined for 13 shots and 11 points. Uh, and against a team like the Pelicans, where your primary competition on the other end was Jonas Valanciunas and Larry Nance. Like, those are the rim protectors that you're dealing with. The New Orleans Pelicans do not defend the rim well. They are not a good rim-protecting team. And the fact that Denver can score on them at the rim is a really big issue. None of those guys put any pressure on the rim whatsoever. Thomas Bryant just kind of floating a lot. Jeff Green uh, looked very bothered under the rim at times. And then Zeke Nagy is just... It is such a low usage thing for him. He's mostly just trying to get out of the way, and he was fumbling passes everywhere he went. So that's a concerning aspect for sure, uh, and it's disappointing. It is disappointing to say the least that the Nuggets, they cannot figure out how to get any good positive center play unless it is Nikola Jokic on the team. Mason Plumley was good. He was probably the last guy that I think you can really say made a difference for this Nuggets team, and it gave me a much larger appreciation for Mason Plumley and his ability to kind of play this system. And DeMarcus Cousins, I think you could say that too. So uh, there are obviously reasons why they didn't keep DeMarcus. Uh, and there's a reason why the, the rest of the NBA has not gone for DeMarcus Cousins either. So I don't want to make this particularly about him, but uh, it's just hard. And, and Denver has not been able to satisfy a clear need on their roster. And it's really too bad. The not concerning aspects of the loss. I think that Michael Porter Jr. just went through a bad night. I think that KCP just went through a bad night. I think that those guys shoot better going forward. 
Uh, Michael Malone said post game that KCP dealing with some sickness, a lot of other guys dealing with uh, something or other. And, and I, I kind of get the sense that there might be a bug going around the Nuggets locker room right now. Peyton Watson was uh, questionable on Monday due to a non-COVID illness. Obviously, you had guys fight through it. Uh, that's definitely something to at least monitor. But uh, I think that Michael Porter, obviously a little bit bothered tonight, did not look like himself as a shooter. KCP got some open shots tonight, didn't knock them down. It's important. Like You have to have your shooters hit shots. Jamal Murray went 4 of 10 tonight from 3. He did his best from the 3-point line. Uh, but the rest of the team combined to go 0 of 18. That is so historically bad that I don't think that it is going to be a thing going forward. But it is interesting that the Nuggets, who have been leading the NBA in three-point percentage for much of the season, without Jokic, they, it looks like they turn into a puddle. Um, I don't think that that is who they are. I think that they are somewhere in between that when it comes to the non-Jokic minutes going forward. But when Jokic is out there, they're creating shots. They feel good. They're in rhythm. And they're on time on target passes. Tonight, I thought that Murray actually had some really good looks. Finished with seven assists and two turnovers, but uh, I think that there are plenty of other shots that that uh, passes that he had that could have been converted for for assists as well, but they just didn't really go down. So it's tough. It's it's hard to figure out what's real and what's not real in something like this. So I'm I'm not too terribly concerned about that, but uh, it it is what it is. Positive takeaways though. I'm pretty happy with the way that Bruce Brown and Christian Brown played. Uh, they were both of the podium guys. Those guys brought some energy and brought some defensive tenacity tonight. And what's more, uh, Christian Brown, he did finish as a minus one, but some of that was with uh, was with some garbage time stuff. Jeff Green actually finished as a minus two. Zeke Naji in his 17 minutes was a plus three. Bruce Brown was a minus five, but he played 28 minutes tonight. So some of that overlap was a, a bad nugget starting unit. Uh, but Bruce Brown tonight, 19 points, seven of 13 from the field, five of eight from the free throw line. Obviously that has to improve. By the way, Aaron Gordon, three of six from the from free throw. Christian Brown, one of four from three throw. Uh, those guys, along with the rest of the nuggets combined to go 20 of 32 from the free throw line. So they got opportunities to make this a closer game than it should have been, but uh, they bricked all those shots too. So uh, clearly jumpers were not where Denver was hoping to live tonight. And it, it was, it was a pretty ugly thing to watch. Uh, but in general, I think that Christian Brown and Bruce Brown, the way that they played tonight was exciting. Uh, they, like, I think Bruce had a nice block on CJ McCollum. Christian Brown had some uh, nice defensive plays. There was even a play where Jamal Murray uh, combined with Bruce Brown to steal an inbound pass in the fourth quarter and then uh, dish that off to Christian Brown for a poster dunk. That was really cool. That was a great moment in Ball Arena where everybody in Ball Arena is like, wait, Denver hasn't played well at all, and they're only down 10 with like eight minutes to go. It wasn't meant to be. Obviously, Denver, they very, very, very much sputtered. But in general, it was nice to see the Nuggets kind of have some positive, positive moments. And I do think that the effort that Bruce Brown and Christian Brown played with is great. And those guys, to me, are locks. They are locks to be in the playoff rotation. You have Jokic instead of Thomas Bryant out there, and the starting unit probably plays a little bit better. 
Am I a little bit concerned about the starting unit and the way that they look? Absolutely. Um, Aaron Gordon. I, I know this isn't positive takeaways. Let's let's just go back to uh, uh, most concerning aspects of this loss, I guess. Uh, Aaron Gordon's defense and Jamal Murray's defense was really bad. It was just really, really bad for both of those guys. I actually thought that Michael Porter's defense was the best on the team. And KCP had some good moments. Um, Thomas Bryant was horrible on defense, just, just horrible, flat out. Um, Michael Porter was good, which... Uh, it's so funny because his offense was disgusting. But Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, those guys could not defend anybody tonight. Murray got cooked by CJ McCollum. He got uh, outmatched physically by Brandon Ingram a couple times in the post. And there were a lot of possessions where Aaron Gordon was either slow on a rotation, whereas his responsibility to get up to the perimeter and he just didn't do it. Uh, there were also possessions where he just couldn't stay in front of Brandon Ingram. Couldn't stay in front of the guy that he was supposed to be guarding. And those possessions are killer because Aaron Gordon is supposed to be your leading isolation defender, the leading guy that you want to put on these big wings. But Brandon Ingram had his way with him tonight. So it's disappointing, most certainly. Um, look, I don't want to sugarcoat it for everybody. The way that Denver plays offense without Jokic, the way that their team plays without Jokic right now, it is not encouraging from the perspective of, hey, if your plan A isn't working, what the hell else are you going to do? Um, Jamal Murray needs to be better, and he was good tonight. Like I actually think that his offense in general was good tonight. He had 21 points, seven assists, two turnovers. Probably could have shot better from two, but he didn't have space to operate from two and just jacked up a lot of threes to try to space the floor, and that was fine. Like More power to him, but the rest of the team – they are going to have to shoot the ball. They are going to have to space the floor. Teams are going to collapse on Nikola Jokic. They are going to force Jamal Murray to go off the dribble. They are going to force Michael Porter to make plays. Uh, they will live with KCP and Aaron Gordon shooting threes. KCP is not shooting well right now. Aaron Gordon hasn't shot well for a while. And if the Nuggets cannot space the floor going forward, then the season is going to be a very short one and a, an unfortunately short one. Jokic has dealt with poor spacing before, but when you're a team that has relied on such great spacing to be an elite offense for much of the season, if that offense suddenly shrinks up and shrivels up from a spacing perspective, that is not good. That is a situation where you could get upset early in the playoffs, and that is not where Denver needs to be right now. They need to be rolling. They need to be playing good offense. They need to be hitting the shots in rhythm, on time, are on target passes, hitting the shots that they need to hit. And they haven't done that enough. Uh, whether they can or not remains to be seen, but I, I've seen enough from the second half of the season after the All-Star break where I, I'm at least a little bit concerned on that. They're, they definitely need to figure that out. So tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to... We're going to talk more about the Nikola Jokic offense and the Nikola Jokic non-Nikola non Jokic offense to see what we can actually glean from this particular game. But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook. You don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich in the rest of this tourney. Instead, win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. Superbook features some of the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. 
you have a direct line to their experienced staff behind the counter in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around. So no matter what you have to wager on come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. Download the Superbook Sports app and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back and pick action roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. If you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you are, podcasts would be fantastic. Also, make sure to hit this video with a like if you're watching this live on YouTube. Really appreciate the live audience for hanging out. It is 1230 at night on this particular, uh, this particular now Friday morning. And I, I raced home to try to get this uh, to try to get this one up. I saw an earlier question: uh, Why do you record these at midnight? Sometimes I would rather record it on the evening so that people can have it in their inbox in the morning. I don't necessarily like, especially on a late night. I don't want to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and record. I would rather sleep in. I would rather uh, wake up at nine, wake up at ten if I can, especially on these nights where usually I'm I'm up pretty late. So I do my best to try to get this going, but I understand why everybody would like it to be in the morning. Uh, sometimes I will. We will we'll just have to play that by ear. Uh, but now let's go with this. The offense without Nikola Jokic continues to be a problem. Um, well, let me just send a private message real quick. Um, all right. I, as I mentioned in the previous segment, I think that this is something where there are enough numbers now for the entire eight years that Nikola Jokic has been in a Nuggets uniform that the offense just clearly isn't the same when Jokic isn't out there. The team has grown more and more dependent on him to run basic things. I think that in general, the Nuggets can... Uh, they could rely a little bit too much on Yoke. They want to make sure that they get the, like they want to run good stuff. They want to run the stuff that they're capable of most of the time, the stuff that they know gets them good stuff. The problem is that, and I think one of the reasons why Jamal Murray has kind of stagnated in traditional spread pick and roll is that they haven't had a lot of practice with that. Jokic doesn't roll all the way to the rim. Jokic likes to roll pretty short. He'll do the short roll and then pass. He'll do the short roll into a floater. Most of the time, what teams are trying to do against Jamal Murray, what teams are trying to do against Nikola Jokic, is they are trying to force uh, the ball out of Jamal's hands either early and then recover as quickly as possible to Jokic, or they are going to switch it at times. And it's not great to, to always have to rely on the switch, but it means that Jokic is just going to get a post up. And he's usually really, really good at that. Lots of teams covered in completely different ways, but when Jokic isn't out there, the offense is clearly different and they can 
they can't run some of the same actions that they do where Jokic is just a reliable, like, I think it's become underrated how reliable he is from a three-point shooting perspective. He doesn't take them all the time, but teams guard him out there because they know that he will take the shot if they don't. Like, he is very confident in just pulling up from three, shooting 39% on the year. That's really helpful. Denver's other guys don't have that. Like, I do think that, in general, this Nuggets team, of course they're reliant on the two-time MVP. Of course they're reliant on Jokic as a whole. And and with the last couple of years where they've had to become so Jokic-centric because they haven't been able to do anything else, I'm not surprised that things have gone this way. One of the hopes about Murray and Porter especially was that they could break from the mold at times of just running traditional Jokic stuff. And and there have been some breaks. There have been some, and and a lot of times people complain about it, by the way, Uh, but whether Murray is kind of deviating from traditional Jokic ball, whether Porter is, most of the time those guys stay within the colored lines, but in general, they have been so good about... Uh, sticking to what works for this team and avoiding what doesn't work. The problem is that when you get into these situations where Jokic isn't out there, you really have to fight. You really have to get through it. And I just don't think that they've done a great job of it this year. I don't think that they have great personnel to do it. I'm also kind of confused why they never put Michael Porter at the four and just try to space people out a little bit more. Because if I were trying to run... Actually, let's go to this now. There's a major question going around right now about whether Jamal Murray can actually do it, or whether he can do the thing that he was doing in the bubble. And I think it's fair. I think it is a fair question to ask because Jamal has not looked as potent as he was in the bubble for sure. Uh, but even when he was like really starting to break out of uh, the slump that he was in post-bubble, like post-bubble pre-injury, there was a stretch of time there where he wasn't great, took some responsibility, and then just locked in and was absolutely dynamite from then. Like 25, 5, and 5, 40% shooting uh, from three, maybe uh, maybe more than that. But he was just really, really good in, in those moments. And uh, it just has not been that consistent of late. And the explosiveness and the strength and the quickness, I think, is where you see the most drag. He hasn't been attacking the rim with as much reckless abandon as he did before. That's natural. That's understandable. He hasn't really been uh, out quicking guys on the perimeter. Not a ton of crossovers, not a ton of uh, completely dusting guys. There's been a lot of getting to a spot in the mid range that he likes and just fading away over the top of a contest. And that is just not going to be as efficient, even if he shoots 50% on those shots, which he hasn't this year. Uh, Even if he shot 50% from there, he was shooting close to 80% from zero to three feet the year before, uh, during the year that he tore his ACL. Like he was on a different level in terms of his level of finishing at the rim. And it just has not been that this year. And like there, there are still other aspects of it that I think he has probably dragged behind. I think there are some reads that he struggles with as a point guard. He is not necessarily a James Harden type. He is not a Chris Paul. He's not a LeBron James from a ball, ma- a ball handling, playmaking perspective where he can see everything on the court. 
he does a pretty good job. And I think he has really evolved in his ability to see the court. And like tonight, even when guys were bricking, seven assists to two turnovers was, was a pretty good sign. But I think the real takeaway from this year is whether he is going to be James Harden from a playmaking standpoint as, as kind of a second star for Jokic or if he's going to be something lesser and whether he can raise his game to another level in the playoffs, I think is going to be uh, really interesting. Also, I see a comment that just came up um, on, on the podcast. I mean, if you can't handle tonight when Jokic has a sore calf in game 76 of the season, then you didn't really deserve to be a fan. So uh, sorry, bro. Like <laughs> I, I hope you get, the sports health that you deserve. Um, look, Denver's got to figure out a lot. They have to figure out a lot of things, but the biggest thing that they have to figure out is the non-Jokic minutes where he's going to, like, Jamal's probably going to be out there for those minutes. It is something of a staple that, it is something of a staple that Jokic is going to need probably about 12 minutes of rest a game because teams are going to run pick and roll. They're going to try to run him ragged as much as they possibly can and tire him out as much as they possibly can. I think he is better suited to handle that this year than he was last year, but he played about 34 minutes a night in the playoffs last year and actually hasn't played a high number of minutes in the postseason since I think the bubble. He's going to have to play more. He is going to have to play as, as much as possible. But even if he plays 36, 37, 38 minutes, those other 10 to 12 minutes are going to need to be better. They are going to need to be good, not just like passable. Because if you're only getting passable in the playoffs, that's when the other team knows that they can capitalize on your weaknesses. And there are plenty of teams that are going to be able to capitalize in those moments. So, if it were up to me, if this were up to me as like the de facto coach of the Denver Nuggets, like I think that Michael Malone has a really tough job because I do not think that any of the other bigs, whether it's Zeke Naji, Jeff Green, or Thomas Bryant, I do not think any of those guys have really justified their minutes. Uh, it has not been good over the course of the season. And Vlaco, I think, like with his injury issues, I think can also can really fall into that category because Denver hasn't been able to find anything consistent with any of those guys. And that's tough. Like that's just a tough aspect of it, but you need somebody to step up. So I think Murray will be out there. I think that Bruce Brown and, and uh, Christian Brown will be out there from a spacing perspective. That's already bad because Christian Brown is not a 40% three point shooter on high volume. Right now, he's like a 38% three-point shooter on low volume. Like He's only going to take the ones that he's comfortable with taking. Denver's going to need to have have him take more. Uh, Bruce Brown, I think, is down to like 36%, if I'm not mistaken, maybe lower than that. So he's, he's not a floor spacer at all. He took one tonight. And the fact that he only took one tonight in a game where Denver probably needed some spacing at all uh, that's not a great indication. And the one that I, I remember him hitting wasn't great. Um, so Denver's got to find some spacing at the four and the five. 
if they could possibly get it, or else you are going to have to find a great defensive group. And I don't know if Denver has a great defensive group at their disposal. Maybe it's Aaron Gordon and Zeke Nagy. Maybe that's the group that they can get to. Jamal, Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, Zeke Nagy. And you switch everything, and you hope that Jamal and Bruce can hang up in, uh, or can hold up in switch uh, defense and that Zeke Nagy can hold up in switch defense. Uh, there's a lot to figure out there, though, and it's not great. I would put Michael Porter at the four. His minutes have not been high. He has not had to play a high number of minutes so far this year. Michael Malone has been really strict about this. Even when other guys come in, uh, come back into the game, whether it's Jokic or Murray, whether it's Aaron Gordon or KCP, guys like that, Michael Porter is always the last starter to return to the lineup uh, unless something weird happens. He is always at around 28 to 30 minutes. Right now he's averaging 29. If he gets up to 35 and you could stagger him with the second group, giving them some spacing, giving them some opportunity to keep pace by just having him hit a couple threes, like that could be the difference between a minus six and a zero in the lineup. And it's that big of a deal because they absolutely need that spacing. Jeff Green doesn't provide that spacing. He pump fakes. He slows down the offense. He doesn't have a lot of confidence in that three. Aaron Gordon, not a three-point shooter. Thomas Bryant, not a three-point shooter. Zeke Naji, clearly not a three-point shooter anymore. I saw J.K. Walrus in the comments. Uh, Rib Zeke's three. <laughs> that thing has, uh, it has disappeared. But I think that in general, if the Nuggets do not unlock MPJ in those non-Jokic minutes, they can say goodbye to their playoff hopes. They could say goodbye to their championship hopes because they do not have enough. It is 0% chance if they don't let him go. Because he is the one guy, when you think about outside of Murray, that can actually change a game from an offensive standpoint. Nobody else can. The one thing about Bones, even though I wasn't a super big fan of everything that of everything that he had kind of done and gone through and, and all of that, he was still a guy that could change the offensive flow. He was still a guy that could really take over. Now, maybe this is Reggie Jackson. But the problem that you get into there is that you can't really stagger Jamal Murray because if you take off Christian Brown and you put in Jamal Murray, Reggie Jackson, and Bruce Brown, you've got three guards that are 6'4 and under. And if Michael Malone does that in a serious way in the playoffs, then I am going to slam something. But in general, Denver's got to figure their stuff out. They have to be willing to adapt. They have to be willing to try things that they haven't really done so far this year. I'm going to pull up their play-by-play -play data on basketball reference. Michael Porter Jr. has played 96% of his minutes at the three this year. Small forward. He's played 4% of his minutes at power forward. And I believe that because it's been very rare where he hasn't played or where he has played next to a three-guard group or Christian Brown at the three is, is what I would consider a wing. If he doesn't get to that, then I, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be really disappointed in the way that this thing has gone because you got to trust your stars. If you do not trust your stars, 
then there's at least a disconnect that I don't think can sustain. Like that to me seems pretty frustrating. So look, my ideal lineup going into like my ideal bench lineup going into the playoffs is Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Michael Porter, and pick a big, just any big, you get six minutes, try to survive, whether it's Zeke, whether it's Vlatko, whether it's Jeff, whether it's Thomas Bryant, or maybe Aaron Gordon. Uh, you just got to survive. And if Denver can survive, then they will be okay. Uh, but they have to get something out of that group or else they are going to lose. So let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, the straw poll from the MVP straw poll on ESPN today. Uh, but first, this message from our friends over at Mile High Sports. Mile High Sports has been covering Colorado sports from the preps to the pros for over 20 years. But after 20 years, maybe it's time for a new look. Wow, I can't believe Mile High Sports has been around for 20 years. That's crazy to wow, think about. Man. It's been a journey, man. I mean, from the preps to the pros, everything we've covered from the magazine, the radio station, the website, I love it, but I think it's time for a revamp or a new look. Do you have anything in mind? Actually, I do. I took a look at this, drew some stuff up. You guys want to see it? Yeah, let's see it. Let's check it out. So I put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of creative energy into this thing, taking a look at national brands. I wanted to make sure to come up with something unique and original. Introducing Mile High Sports 2.0. What do you think? You know, I like that, but have we thought about maybe what it would look like without the vowels? Actually, I already thought about that. I made a second mock-up without the vowels. Really? You should rip it off. Yeah, man, rip it off. Here we go. No vowels, baby. Check it out. Hold on a minute. Haven't we seen this somewhere before? It looks a little familiar. Well, if you can't beat them, join them. Right, Drotar? Every team, every day. This is Mile High Sports. All right, shout out to the crew there. I uh, love the MHS crew. They've done such a great job on a lot of those commercials. Uh, just poking a little fun, poking a little fun, having a good time with the entire process. I hope anybody that, that gets that, uh, uh, I appreciate you. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Let's now talk about the MVP straw poll. MVP straw poll came out, I think it was this morning on Friday, or not Friday, I guess Thursday morning. Um, Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid are at a deadlock right now. They are basically tied for votes they are basically tied right now for first and second place votes uh first place just went slightly to Jokic. second place votes were a little bit more strongly in favor of Embiid and as a result Joel Embiid was two measly points uh worth of voting uh 10 points for a first place vote seven points for second place five points for third place he was two measly points ahead of Nikola Jokic for the MVP award. And that is so interesting and fascinating to me because I don't think it would have been like that had Joel Embiid not rested. Had he just played in Denver on Monday, had he just toughed it out, had he not gone through the entire drama that he had gone through where 
he releases that article to Shams, uh, that that interview for Shams, where Kirk Goldsberry puts on the full court press on Nikola Jokic's defense, and where Joel Embiid says what he says to uh, about Nikola Jokic basically, and then ducks him in, in that particular matchup, only to play on Wednesday night. By the way, that was pretty funny. Um, look, had he just played and been fine in that game like i don't know clear look looking clearly hurt but 25 points 10 rebounds three blocks like just a, a normal good game and then denver wins kind of a normal good 10 point victory or something like that then i think that Embiid would be leading i think that people would have more respect for him if if he actually showed up in that situation a lot of people were just disappointed some people i think that did affect them and I think that it's still close enough that it could go either way. Obviously, like uh, I teach if I says it's even if it's only two points, still not happy. Look, you got to be happy because I think that he had captured so much more momentum than what it actually shows in the straw poll. And that straw poll really pushed it back where people are going to then start looking at the numbers after 82 games when they start releasing uh, everything. And they are going to probably consider Jokic a little bit more strongly than they do now. Um, but in general, Denver has to finish the season stronger. They have to, like, this game, it's not great from, like, a record standpoint, but it does definitely show Nikola Jokic's value. That's that's for sure. Uh, he may not play on Friday night. He may decide to rest in that particular game as well, or they may just hold him out. Maybe not him resting, but I guess we'll see. There was discussion tonight in the post-game locker room on, on who was actually going to go and travel with the team and who was not. It would not surprise me if Jamal rested, if KCP rested, and Aaron Gordon rested. Uh, and then maybe they have Mike go, and maybe they have Jokic go. And if Jokic is healthy, then he'll probably play. If not, then he will probably sit, and they might just have Mike play with the rest of the bench. Uh, or they might just rest everybody. It wouldn't surprise me that direction either, but – uh, it was very clear based off of that, that, okay, Denver's now 76 games played. They have six more to go. They've got one against the Suns, got one against the Warriors, and then they've got a three-game road trip. Rockets, Suns again, Jazz, and then they've got the Kings on the second night of a back-to-back -back in their final game. So Jokic has six more games maybe five, depending on how he feels in this next one. And maybe fewer than that if Denver decides to rest a little bit. Just a few more games to really make that final impression. And I think the resting in this one was fine. Not a big deal. Joel Embiid wasn't exactly great in his game on Wednesday, uh, though the Sixers did win it. And Joel just, like, he was clearly unstoppable for Dwight Powell and the, and the Dallas Mavericks, but it's not really a big deal. Um and so there will be opportunities for those guys in the closing moments. Uh, April 2nd, Giannis and Joel Embiid will face off against each other. Giannis and the Bucks in the second night of a back-to-back -to -back tonight, they got housed by the Celtics. Jason Tatum puts up 40 points on 18 shots, looked great in that game. And Giannis did not look good. I think he had 24 points on 27 shots, if I'm not mistaken. So not a great look for Giannis for MVP. I think he's probably falling behind. And the only thing that he can do now, I think, is 
dominate Embiid and then potentially lower Embiid enough to be second as opposed to be first. That would be my last guess. I think they all like the Sixers also have to play the Celtics, if I'm not mistaken. So there's plenty of opportunity for Embiid to, um, if if he beats like as, as response scarf says here, I would also be surprised if Embiid beat the Celtics and the Bucks. But if he does, then I, that's a pretty big statement. That is a pretty big statement, and I think at least one of those games is on national TV. So there will be an opportunity for him to really take control of this narrative and take control of everything and whether he puts up 45 points 50 points whatever the number is Jokic isn't going to try to do that like there's no doubt in my mind so it is what it is um as many of you are I am also over it I do feel the obligation to comment on it a lot of times because it is a big deal and because Jokic if he were to get the MVP for three straight years then there's so many crazy ramifications for that, both historically and narratively. And uh, in my day-to-day, it actually changes, like, like how I'm supposed to cover the team and how I'm supposed to cover him. So like he, he becomes a living legend at that point and should be treated as such, should be held to those expectations. I'm not sure he wants that. I'm not sure anybody really wanted that for him, but it's crazy what greatness can do to you sometimes. And it's crazy what those expectations actually look like. But imagine how sweet it would be if he wins the third MVP and then Denver runs through the West and then wins the title. Like, it would be an all-time run. Absolute all-time. And Nuggets fans should be rooting for that. They should want that because Denver's never had anybody like that that they can hang their hat on as strongly as they can with Jokic. And obviously, there are still some questions to answer. There's still some things to figure out. But if Denver was able to have a three-time MVP winner, uh, it changes everything for, like, actually, not not that's not true. Winning a championship would change everything. The MVP itself is not as important, but combining those two, and you start to realize, man, he might be, like, top 15, top 10 all time in terms of, like, actual impact on the game, which is a crazy thing to think. Let's wrap up with a short preview of Nuggets at Suns. The Suns struggled on offense against the the Minnesota Timberwolves on Wednesday. I watched that game, and Kevin Durant had an off-shooting night. I think it was like 5 of 18 or something like that. And like he's not going to have a lot of off-shooting nights going forward because he's Kevin Durant, and he was facing J.D. McDaniels a lot of that time. Uh, Kyle Anderson a lot of that time. Those guys are really good defenders and like are actually built pretty well to contest some of his shots and they did a good job and the Suns still won they won because they defended reasonably well uh, probably better than people expected and because DeAndre Ayton had things easy for him because of the space that he had to operate with three elite pick and roll creators and floor spacers around him it's not always going to be easy for him like Josh Okogie if, if teams just leave Josh Okogie and Torrey Craig in the corners and they break threes It'll be a little bit different. But for a team like the Nuggets, they're going to have to be pretty disciplined in trying to defend as many aspects of that as possible. If Denver doesn't bring Jokic, if they don't bring Murray, KCP, and any or most of their starters, then obviously this preview changes. Like Denver's just not going to have a lot of firepower to match up with a full-strength Suns. And that's fine. 
What I do want to see from the Nuggets, though, is I want to see Zeke Naji going up against DeAndre Ayton. I would like to see that matchup, and then I would like to see him switch onto Kevin Durant. That's probably the one thing that I'm really looking forward to the most because Zeke Naji has to be that guy. If he's not that guy, then Denver doesn't have a guy who can do things like that. There are going to be matchups that aren't great for him. There are going to be matchups that are better for other people. But in general, between Jeff Green, Vlaco, Zeke, um, guys like that who are in that 6'8 to 6'10 range, you'd like to see them be able to switch and move and guard because that could be Denver's formula, especially in those non-bench minutes or in those non-Jokic minutes where they could actually slow down the game a little bit, try to get as many stops as they can possibly can. I would like to see them get stops. I don't expect it because it's going to be a really hard matchup second night of a back-to-back, but would like to see various things where the offense can actually get going, hit some shots a little bit, and then the defense can switch and guard and make things more difficult for the opposition than they have been. So we will see. We will see what it looks like in general, but I'm not expecting a win, especially if Denver does rest their guys. Uh, it would be tough. Like I it, I don't think that Denver has any real benefits to trying to go get this win other than trying to clinch the one seed a little bit earlier. Keep in mind, their magic number is three now with six games to go, and they have matchups against the Houston Rockets and Utah Jazz. Uh, Utah is not going to be playing for much of anything by the end of the season, and it wouldn't surprise me if they shut down Larry Markinen. So Denver has an opportunity where they can win those games by themselves and then just need Memphis to lose one game. I think Memphis will. Memphis is not infallible. They play some tough opponents over the course of these next few week, these next few weeks. So we're just going to have to see. But for now, everybody, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Michael, can you hit that outro music for me? Brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the show. Uh, I realize that it's a 46-minute show on at one o'clock in the morning and i do appreciate everybody for hopping in here having a good time uh try to make this more positive as we possibly can because obviously this game sucked so let's move past it let's have a much better day tomorrow when denver gets crushed by the suns without any of their other guys should be great thank you so much everybody for tuning in i'm obviously joking thank you so much for tuning in we'll talk to you guys tomorrow night